space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to another Temporal Trek episode. We are in Chronodate Season 3, Episode 12, Season 1, Episode 11, because we've actually jumped forward an episode out of the Netflix order. We are going by the Star Trek Chronology Project order, uh, which means that something happens in this episode which sort of pushes it in the other way round. Uh, I'm not going to be alone. I don't have any silent enemies. I have got some very vocal friends, hopefully, who are going to help me through this episode. So I'm going to dial them up on the device. Incoming transmission. Hello. Do we have Ross, first of all? I am here. How are you? Uh All the way from the 1980s back in, and now you're in the 22nd century. It's been a mad drive over here. Those giant cloud heads, I just powered through them. They exploded. Now I'm here. Brilliant. Excellent. Excellent. Good to see you. Uh, just another. Oh, we've got someone else coming in on the comm line. Uh, it's Sean over there in Canada. Incoming transmission. Greetings. Hello. Uh, I haven't seen you since the 1930s. That's even longer. It, it has been quite a while. It's been a very long time. Yeah, the big changes into internal combustion engines, everything. It's a very long road. It's been a long road getting from there to here. It really has. It really has. And not as long a journey in uh, temporal terms. Uh, It's Paul, who has already joined me for the 22nd century. But Paul, you are back with me as well. How are you? I I can't leave. I've been trying to leave (laughs) for like the last six episodes and I can't get out. Where's the door? The waiting room room in the temporal investigations is huge and it's just very hard to find your way out, I'm afraid. Oh, that's right. I mean, I should have realized, you know, listening to your podcast, that there is no way out. No. Once you're in, you're in. That's it. Not not without a heavily scripted episode with lots of sound effects in the background. Correct. <laughs> right. Well, uh, welcome, guys. It's absolute pleasure to have you all here uh, for Silent Enemy. Um, by all of the IMDb ratings, things like that, it's apparently quite a popular episode. Um, I'll start off with Ross. Uh, because this is the first Enterprise episode uh, f- that I've done with some of you, um, in general, starting with Ross, then Sean, and then back to Paul again, uh, general thoughts on Enterprise first. So I am actually just finished my season one rewatch of Enterprise, rather spontaneously occurred. Um, and I have to say, I've enjoyed it a lot more. I, I mean, I was really focused on it this time around. I enjoyed it a lot more than when I first watched it. You know, in two thousand and one, uh, I think my I, I was at uni. My attention was all over the place. I didn't sort of sit down and focus on it. But I really, really have enjoyed the first season of Enterprise massively. Um, I, I think the the way they tell the story really works. The the single episodes, but then the longer overarching temporal Cold War, which really is only sort of dotted about in occasional episodes, and then suddenly gets a big focus. I think that really works well. 
and some of the first series there's some standout episodes some really really good episodes and this this isn't the best episode of the lot but actually i do really enjoy this and i'm sure we're going to talk about all the good things about this episode but because it is so alien that's that's a theme that runs through the entire first series of Enterprise. The idea that they're going out into space and they're going to find things which are really, really bizarre. And they mention it a few times, but this is really one of the only times where it really comes true. They meet someone whom they have no concept of, and it's really, really exciting. And that is a theme, when you watch all the series in one go, that theme really comes across, and it's, it is really enjoyable. Sean? Well, I don't think I'll be nearly as articulate as Ross was, but uh, I, I've always loved Enterprise. I, I loved it when it came out. Oh, of course, not the theme song. I always hated the theme song. Uh, I was very disappointed oh, in the God, theme song. The theme song. Because... That's why I didn't watch it. That, that yeah, turned me off the theme Exactly, song. exactly. And, and it grows on you over time. But because it wasn't an instrumental, it didn't really fit with the previous series. So that was the only thing that I didn't like, but I, I liked how they went back to the beginning. I, I liked how fish out of water because they're in space in this warp five ship and they don't know where they're going. I'm sure they have to Paul in the Vulcan database, but she's kind of quiet about everything and not really saying too much. And, and we don't know where they are. And so we're as blind and in the dark as they are. And I, and I like that accent, uh, aspect of it because in the other series, you know, space, yeah, sure, we've been here a long time and we've got all these awesome ships, but now we've got this old rickety thing, well, new rickety thing, I guess is the best way to put it, and it doesn't have much power, it doesn't even have shields, but it's, I think the design of the NX-01 is fantastic. It's a beautiful ship. I love it. It's probably my favorite Enterprise. Excellent. Um, Paul, um, you've already given me your thoughts on Enterprise in general in previous episodes, but now specifically going into this episode, uh, from the last thing we watched, which was back in the pilot days, to what you're watching now, do you feel that much has changed or do you feel that it's sort of, it's developed slowly? Yeah, I think the uh, the crew seem to be working together a lot more and you can see there's, there's a bond between them now that they're, they're becoming... Uh, relationships are, are showing, and I think uh, this episode is a good one for the uh, Malcolm Reed uh, Trip Tucker relationship. It's sort of starting them off on a uh, an understanding, you know, of uh, you know Trip wanting to be, you know, saying that you know, looking, you know, I'm, I'm the boss here. You know, if you want to try and modify things, put it past me, and we'll do it. You know, so it's a nice little uh, um, a thing to you know to start them off. Um, and yeah, I think I think there is a. Um, a big difference in between uh, the, the first episode and, and this one, even though it's only a few episodes down the line. Um, yeah, you can feel you can feel that teamwork coming on, and, and uh, I think uh, Hoshi is a lot more relaxed about uh, her role. Um, so yeah, I think that the crew has slowly starting to to gel and, and move forward. It's all good. All three of you have just touched on all the things I would have said about this episode. So uh, uh, thanks for tuning in, listeners. Uh, catch us next week. And um, oh, actually, no, I think we'll carry on. Um, OK, well, I think that's a perfect jumping in point to discuss Silent Enemy. Uh, so uh, as always, with these full episode rewatches, we are starting at zero minutes, zero seconds. So however you're watching it, wherever you're watching it, let's start at the beginning. 
we get the beginning of a relay, a booster for communications, subspace uh, communications, which is one of the reasons why this episode is before Cold Front, uh, as the Netflix order should have Cold Front first, and then this episode. So we've jumped ahead a bit because it is a direct reference to the last week's episode, which is Fortunate Son, where they talk about preparing it for a launch. Um, there's the whole launch of this. There's the whole... Um, uh, nitty gritty aspect as Sean was saying about how everything's not quite new uh, everything's still you know, got to be worked out all the kinks are still there um, there's no subspace communications array so you can't call back to home in seconds and get a response and conveniently someone is sitting at a desk waiting for you on that call uh, you've got um, all of these sort of uh, early days of Starfleet uh, elements in this entire episode um, it does make me think having just watched Fortunate Son, how similar this story is. And I wonder whether that was the reason they changed the order and they put Cold Front in beforehand. Because you've got Fortunate Son, where it's all about revenge against the Norsekuns who've attacked them. And you've got Archer, who doesn't take the revenge path, but is at least fighting back against a far more superior foe. Uh, any thoughts on that from you guys, starting with Russ? Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that, but I suppose there is that definite similarity of ship on, you know, vessel under attack, outside enemy, and them having to come together and deal with it, which I suppose is, it could be a lot of Star Trek episodes, but yeah, if they were going to do them literally back to back, there is a, a little similarity there. But I don't know, is that specifically why they split them up? I don't know. As far as I was trying to dig, I never came across a reason why this was changed up. Um, there's possibly um, some elements where it was because it was the Cold War, because this is the the trifecta of episodes that happened just in the wake of 9/11. Perhaps they were rethinking the temporal Cold War arc, and there were some suggestions that uh. some things have been changed. That the Sulaban and the Taliban being on your TVs at the same time may have been a contributing factor. Uh, but that's that's all hearsay. That's not necessarily uh, the reason. But there was one of the things given uh, for uh, many articles written about why the order of Enterprise season one changed. Um, but it, it did strike me as what if this would have been had been a two-parter with Fortunate Son, that the Norsicans were picking on uh, the Fortunate, and then suddenly a bigger aggressor comes in, and it's sort of like this is the team up between the Norsicans, the Enterprise, and maybe Fortunate Son, and that would have been the resolution, and perhaps maybe kickstarting the we need a federation of uh, aligned worlds or something like that, you know, just starting that conversation. Uh, Sean, any thoughts on that? I was not aware of any of that stuff All right. and I haven't seen the other two episodes in a while. So I, I have nothing. Paul. Uh, similar to Sean. But, uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen the previous episodes. I've just been doing the ones I need to do. Um, I, I will do a rewatch at some point, but um, yeah, I wasn't aware that they've been uh, reordered uh, mm. in any particular way. So, and I don't think um, uh, other than the, the, you know, the talking of the, um, the relay i don't think there was much in it really hmm. yeah i think this is the only reason that push, pushes it that way um looking ahead into cold front and all of the star logs and things like that you could argue that the dates are sort of out of line as well so you have to put it in this order to make it work uh, but you know as far as the story is concerned nothing happens in this episode that has to then impact the next and so forth which is a lot of season one um but mm. We then get the green shadow. We get their um, their adversary for this uh, episode. 
Uh, in general, I mean, there's so many uh, points where the F episode uh, brings these aliens in and we deal with them. Um, in general, your thoughts on these alien aggressors for this episode, Russ? Uh, I absolutely think they're great. So, I, first of all, the, the ships look fantastic, and you get a good look at the the vessel itself, and you get a look at the shuttles as well. And they've got that really nice stylized, like green patterning on them, which is fantastic. The aliens don't communicate in any any meaningful way with us. In fact, when we actually see them face to face, they literally ignore us. The only time they actually communicate is with that um, when they send back Archer's message to him, like like a serial killer. <laughs> they cut and paste something else, and then they send it back to them, which is really like that's that's what a psycho would do. Um, so that's great. And then we actually see them. They've gone to the trouble of making of like they're all CGI, aren't they? So I mean, they literally could have looked like anything, and they still have that sort of humanoid quality, but their faces are beyond anything like a you know you couldn't do that with makeup, or maybe you could do that at the time. But their faces just look completely weird. They they scan directly out of their hands, which is just what you know that's crazy, isn't it? That we don't see that kind of thing, and then you see them walk, and the first time you see them, they sort of walk like Mister Soft a little bit. <laughs> And then, and then they walk. After that, they walk like they just wet themselves. It's like really little gangly, they're walking along. But they are horrifying, and they are brilliant, and they are one of the reasons why this is a standout episode because they're just so. We never learn anything about them, and that's the point. We are. We don't. We will never know everything about what's going on. And I mean, Topol even says it, doesn't she? You don't you will meet species who don't think like you and you won't necessarily understand their motives. And here mm. we go. We have no real idea what they wanted or why. And it was great. Sean? Well, the ship was badass. <laughs> uh, I, I, I liked the, it almost looked like it could have been like a stealth Borg cruiser or something with the green and the black. So, so that was good. Mm. It, it also reminded me of Lego ships that I've built in the past. Just the design of it. <laughs> Uh, as as for the alien creature design, well, we, we won't talk about the horrendous CGI job because that's like twenty years ago. What? But uh, <laughs> uh, they they're they're kind of like two legged spiders the way they walked. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that, that's probably the best way to describe them. And and they're creepy as heck. And uh, yeah, like Ross said, the scanning with the with the hand thing and just ignoring you and. They're just bad guys, but you don't know why. What's their motivation? Who knows? We never see them again. And, and obviously, they're pretty close to Earth, but we never hear about them throughout any other series again. So what happened to these guys? It, it makes you wonder, what? where are they now? Are they part of the Federation? Did they just disappear? Was it just a, a lone scout ship? Was it just a, a guy and his friends out for uh, causing some trouble? What was it all about? We don't know. Sure. Uh, any thoughts? Anyone want to jump in on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the the fact that we don't see them again doesn't surprise me because, I mean, they, they came in, they look like opportunists. You know, they see a weak little ship, they scan it, say, oh, come on, we can have this, we can have this. So they dive in, they do what they need to do, and then, you know, they, they leave, but they leave a little tracker on it so they can keep an eye on them uh, without realising that, of course, that, you know, the humans are more resourceful and they build up the the weapons that they need. So that when they come again and they get their the backside smacked, they say, "Oh, okay, well maybe this is just a little bit too much hassle. You know, maybe we want to find an easier place. We don't want to be, don't want to be 
you know, shot at and we've lost our shields and now we've got a damaged ship and they run away like a wounded uh, animal you know they uh, they've been scared off they've they've realized now that humans uh, are more resourceful than they thought and they, they you know they just they're just like any bully they just want to they just want to um, fight a, an easy target so that's why we probably don't see them again and they've just scudded off back to their planet and and maybe their system or whatever and and that's the last we'll see of them. That's what that's, that's my headcanon anyway. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, they are very very strange. I mean, they're, they're very you know very long thin legs. They actually reminded me, and you're gonna have to help me out here on the guy's name from um, uh, Discovery. Oh, uh, Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Yeah, Doug Jones. Yeah, they reminded me of him and and his sort of character. As they mm. walked away, they looked like mm. like um, Shaggy from Scooby Doo. <laughs> The whole thing was a mystery machine again. It's something that whenever you you guys are on, the mystery machine gets involved. Again, <laughs> no, I I agree with all the points you you guys are making. Uh, just the, there's something scary going on uh, in this episode, uh, just because you don't know anything, because that silent enemy is there, because it's just like uh, Jaws and it's just like Alien. You know, the less you know, the scarier it is. Um, you've got an inkling that they are interested and that it's something unnerving because they disappear after the first time no engagement they weren't allowed to scan they weren't able to scan uh, through the shields and then they come back again and they're again just sort of testing the water and then they disappear again there's there's no correct way of interpreting whatever they were doing jumping into the next scene after the credit sequence um there's a whole briefing where they're trying to ascertain what their reasoning is. They give uh, their motives were not being understood that maybe it's the universal translators. Maybe they're not very reliable. So again, we're getting to know that you no know, enterprise doesn't have all of its wherewithal. It doesn't have all the technology um, that maybe they're not that interesting. I thought that was quite an interesting point from, uh, from Travis there that maybe yeah, humans just not that interesting at all. Um, I do like that uh, to then does say, you know, you can't always understand everyone's motives. Fair enough. Not a single one of them, though, mentions some sort of nefarious purpose. And you'd think that with a Navy man in the briefing, submarine warfare came to mind. I've got submarines on the brain, but <laughs> submarine warfare comes to mind that you know, the Russians are quite well known during the Cold War to have snuck up behind other submarines and just sat there doing nothing not knowing what they're actually after, whether they're spying, whether they're doing something, whether they're on maneuvers, whether they actually see you or not, and then they move off. You know, it's almost a classic play for play of Cold War submarine warfare. And you'd think that a Navy man like Reed would have maybe suggested that as a possibility. Any thoughts? Yeah, he's not a Navy man, though, is he? he he's never, you, disgraced. It, yeah. That's, well, you know, he's. Yeah, he, he's yeah parents uh, tell you that you know he, he didn't follow the uh, the family the tradition he, he didn't think that the water wasn't big enough for him he wanted to go out into space so very true not a navy man really all thanks to a little call back to home moving on to the next scene uh archer's scene with the parents um to uh anyone uh overseas in the united states uh maybe canada as well jane carr plays the mum and she is a well-known uh figure for uh voice work whenever you need a clipped british accent 
uh, she's always the one, the, the actress who was called in for loads of different characters. She's currently uh, in a couple of animations that my kids watch. And she was in uh, fin- Phineas and Ferb is one of my favorite ones that she's ever been in. But I think for our UK listeners, uh, the real standout cameo uh, is actually the, the dad, uh, Guy Sinner. Listen, very carefully. I shall say this only way. Uh, Lieutenant Gruber from Hello, Hello. Um, with his little tank. Um, it's a, a very small, very specific reference that only the UK listeners will probably get. Uh, but <laughs> uh, for anyone else uh, overseas who's listening, Allo Allo was a parody comedy show uh, based on the BBC Two World War II drama about uh, occupied France and the resistance against it, uh, all run through this French cafe. And literally beat for beat, this parody, Allo Allo, is all the same characters but done as a comedy instead of a drama. And it's played up for laughs. It is very problematic uh, with modern day glasses on and uh, is basically just a play about different accents and how silly they are. Uh, Any thoughts on Allo Allo and uh, the parents and the relationship with Reed? Open to everyone. Allo Allo, you can't can't say that it's problematic when you're taking the piss out of the French all the time. Uh, that's that's just the national, that's yeah. just the British national um, uh, game, isn't it? You know, hate the French. I'm totally on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's not good. I mean, there are a lot of uh, stereotypical uh, accents in there and stereotypical people, and but it's taking the the piss out of the war, isn't it? When when all that sort of thing was going on, and and uh, and it's it was filmed in the ooh, where are we, eighties or so. Mm. So yeah, it's of its time, but it, but tell me one person who doesn't quote that the uh, the French policeman. Good morning. <laughs> Outside your coffee was this bunch of diffidules and doozies. I mean, it is so well known. I must have watched every single episode of that because it was it was on that was on in my childhood in on TV on a Sunday night that was on, and. Didn't, then it didn't strike me as weird that we'd have a sitcom set during the Nazi occupation of France like that. That's that's a normal thing, but really, when you think about it, that is weird. It is, it is. <laughs> that is a weird style of sitcom. But I watched it. I watched pretty much every episode. I watched the last episode. You know, I've literally got here in my notes. Look, it's Malcolm's dad. <laughs> Does he know what Malcolm's favourite food is? No. <laughs> Does he know where the fallen Madonna with the big boobies is? <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Sean. I'm sorry. It doesn't make any sense. But uh, one of the plot lines for the international listeners is that there is a... The plot, the plot line, <laughs> basically, is there's a, a, a stolen painting of the fallen Madonna with the bigger boobies, um, uh, which is a priceless painting that gets passed through hands, uh, you know, from the resistance back to the Nazis, the Nazis back to the resistance, all going through this French cafe run by René, uh, who is the French cafe owner, who every woman and every man loves uh, in the series. Um, and it's it's just double entendre to the extreme. And uh, yeah. Um, Where can I see this? There should be a podcast about it. I'm sure there is, but um, oh. there you go. 
This has become it. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That Forgetting the Enterprise, we all know the episode. You know, shoot you, shoot you, bang, bang, bang. Um, you know, oh, he, he loves pineapple. Right, hello, hello. Uh, let's uh, educate Sean. Um, let's start from the beginning. Good morning. <laughs> but I did wonder, you know, obviously he's an English actor. They got him in because, you know, Reed needs to have an English dad. Um, you know, he's Silent Enemy, yeah. Silent Enemy, the resistance of the Germans. Maybe there was a reason behind that. Maybe there was an hello, hello fan on the Star Trek staff and casting team i don't know but there you go i think uh, the uh what was her name again uh, the jane carr J- jane carr now uh, she's irish for, for a start can do an amazing american accent mm-hmm. no american believes that she's irish when you when you hear her hmm. but she also does a damn good english accent as well so she's, yes. pretty, she's pretty good with voices uh yeah guy sinner you get guy sinner pretty much um but just a little bit more british than uh, than he would be <laughs> Uh, but as soon as I saw him, I thought, "Oh, oh!" Now I remember this because I knew I I knew when they were going to call his dad. I thought, "Oh, his dad! I know his dad. His dad's somebody, and I can't remember who it is." Uh, but as soon as I saw him, I went, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I remember." It would have been really good if you just made some sort of reference, <laughs> just a little, little reference in there. But I'm well, they wouldn't have known. When he says that, you know, oh, his his dad was an ordnance man. I did wonder, like, oh, he also worked on tanks. Excellent. Maybe. It's like a little reference to Allo Allo, but there we go. Um, there is a B-plot to the episode, as we've alluded to, that it's actually about Reed and the fact that he struggles with getting to know people. We've uh, got a very clear indication that his dad uh, has a big problem with showing any kind of emotion or any kind of ten- tender loving care to Reed. Um, I do wonder that is Silent Enemy a double play on that phrase so it's not only the pew-pews of the episode but it's also the silent enemy of not knowing someone or not showing someone that you care um with the epidemic of uh loneliness uh, that uh, affects people especially with the pandemic happening in the world uh we've sort of come to the realization in the 2020s that you know people need to know that they are cared for and that they are loved and things like this Perhaps that wasn't as prevalent when they were making this episode, but is there perhaps a second aspect to Silent Enemy that's about, I don't know, connection with people? That's I think you're very philosophical. I really like that take. That's a really nice take on this episode. You, you've done it more justice than it deserves, probably. But uh, I was trying nice. to dig back from the LOLO bit just to get us out of trouble more than anything else. <laughs> I mean, that's very deep. I mean, it's, it's a lot deeper than I would have gone. Uh, I, I, I would say um, that, that probably wasn't knowing the writers of Star Trek. I don't think that was in there. In you know, but um, um, no, <laughs> I was just distracted there for a minute. Um, the the, uh, the what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, the the, the stereotypical Britishness of of people, I think, was a bit of a problem for me. Is you know that. That very reserved you have to be very reserved and, and not show any emotions and all that it's very much in a malcolm reed anyway which i think is a little bit stereotypical british um and his father obviously had to you know they had to sort of show where that came from and it came from you know him being in the navy and being very similar and all this stuff. um so i was a bit i'm a bit disappointed in malcolm reed's character uh, overall through through enterprise for being a little bit too british um which you you don't necessarily get with Scotty in, in the original series. I mean, he is he's Scottish. He likes a drink, drink of whiskey, but that's about it. He doesn't stand around 
playing the bagpipes every day. <laughs> every day. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's what you're saying there. I think you're looking too much into the writers. I think to 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 uh, to say that it's definitely what they had in mind. Um, because we all know that the writers of, of Enterprise are just basically teenage kids who want to see Hoshi <laughs> get a kit off every five minutes to Paul having this slap and tickle with uh, with good old Trip. So um, I don't think there's anything in it. I do wonder if there is a bigger Vulcan embassy on British soil because they get along with these emotionally distant people on Earth uh, who don't like to talk to their children and share any emotions. So maybe. 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 <laughs> um. Uh, there is a, a traitorid ding. Uh, I will just jump in with this. There's a little conversation between Archer and Trip. It's time you learn to weigh the possible repercussions of your actions. You've always been impulsive. One pan fried catfish. I'd show you to the nearest airlock. Maybe this will teach you a lesson. Where um, uh, Trip uh, says dinner and a show when they talk about Paul having problems with the chopsticks. Uh, so uh, I am going to be traitorid uh, on this bit. Sorry, Jen. I know you're probably listening because Russ is on the show. So really sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, she is defending her man. She defended her man really well in Breaking Ice. But yeah, a traitorid is back in this episode. Uh, a- a- any thoughts on actually more generally the relationship between Archer and Trip in this episode, which I think actually gets some serious development here. Uh, any thoughts? They went through every sort of emotion in this episode, the two of them. He's uh, he's consoling Trip because his girlfriend's left him. They're arguing about uh, it. He, Archer has to go to him and sort of explain he's not quite sure what to do. That he's going back to dry dock. Um, they they run the entire they they run the entire range, and it's it's actually there's quite a lot of I mean the pressure builds up over the episodes every time the aliens come back they up the ante with what's happening and they pile the pressure onto the to Archer and Trip to sort of solve the problem. And obviously Archer feels all that and Trip focuses purely on what's happening with the engines engines and the, the phaser cannons. Um but yeah they, they do have every kind of conversation possible. Uh did they get angry with each other? I can't remember whether they well, I can't remember whether they, they don't they don't shout at each other, but they do disagree I think briefly about the phaser cannons and going back to dry dock. But apart from that, they they do everything else. Mm. Sean, yeah, no, they uh, they have a good uh, a good chemistry. They have a lot of camaraderie. Uh, this episode really shows that they've known each other for a long time, and and they can just be themselves with each other, and they don't have to worry about protocol so much. Mm. Mm. Paul, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, they they're both in the engine room and they're talking, and and you know, when Archer walks in, he says, you know. He says to Trip, "You look like hell," <laughs> and Trip says, "With all due respect, Captain, you shouldn't be talking." Um, you know, so and and yet they both look great, you know, because they've got, got the makeup on and you know, the hair is perfectly done, and all. they don't look like hell at all. Reed has a bit of five o'clock shadow at the very end. <laughs> I didn't notice yeah. that. He's got a tiny little bit. Oh yeah. yeah, Reed's been burning the midnight oil. It's been a, yeah, it's been a bad day. He hasn't had time to shave. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. regulation shirt. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it is good. I mean, like you, you hit the nail on the head there, Ross, with you saying that there is, you know, they do go through every uh, emotion in the, in this, and it's good to see it. It, it is a, a very much, you know, you can see their friendship um, is is deep, as alluded to in other episodes. Um, so yeah, it's a good. I think I think all round, really, it's a good it's a good episode for the crew getting to know each other and, and you know bonding and, and showing 
um, you know, that, that uh, relationship that they have with each other has, has grown so much, and also the backstories of others. So, yeah, it's mm. it is it is good for that. No, I, I agree. You see the resourcefulness uh, of um, of Hoshi. You see how you know um, quickly she goes through all of the contacts on Reed's uh, list. You know, his best friend, girlfriend, sister. You know, everyone that he uh, that she can possibly find out about. Um, uh, going to another conversation between Topol and Archer. There's a moment where Archer says, you know, did the Vulcans come into this much trouble when they first went in, into space? And T'Pol comes back with a line saying that there were fewer warp-capable species back then. Now, that's that's really coincidental, isn't it? That everybody just suddenly started, like, getting warp drive around about the same time. Um, I did wonder whether this is an answer to the Fermi's paradox that no one's ever considered, that all the alien races are developing at roughly, give or take a few hundred years, the same parallel development. Uh, any thoughts on that and how the Vulcans have never come across these aliens themselves? Well, it, well, it links. maybe it links back to the chase a little bit, the uh, TNG episode where... You have the progenitors and they go around seeding planets to be, you know, that are going to evolve at approximately the same time and in the same same fashion. Um, I did I did like how Archer, and this is a sort of a theme from series through series one, he does like to one up to Paul a little bit about, you know, because he assumes that she knows everything because she's a Vulcan and that she has all the answers. And so when she, he comes across something that she doesn't know, he's like, Well, I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna find out. I'll tell you what's going on for a change. And it really was like that in this episode as well. He wants to know because she doesn't know. It, uh, it, it, uh, yeah. oh, sorry, go on, Sean. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say that it's, um, it's, it's a bit strange the way that, because we've been talking about the aliens quite a lot. Um, and yet half the show starts with Malcolm's favorite food mom you know trying to find out what his favorite food is and, and doing you know, I was I started off thinking uh, oh this is obviously the, uh, the, the you know the bit the B plot because we've just had the aliens so they're going to be the a plot and then the food's going to be the B plot but then halfway through we're still on the B plot <laughs> and I'm thinking well this is this is weird this is really weird and then it changes and halfway through suddenly we're looking at the enemy and then we take the enemy right the way through to the end until we find his favorite food at the end. You know, there's a couple of little scenes in the middle, but it 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 all it, it's it, I've never seen a, um, a Star Trek show do this before where they've had two plots, but the, it's literally fifty fifty through the show. Um, and it it's it, sorry, go on, Ross. It was strange. It was strange. The two plots are so completely diverse. <laughs> Because you got one about not—I mean, they're both about not knowing something, which I suppose is a is a linking theme. You don't know what one thing you can find out, and one thing you'd want to find out, but you can't possibly find out. And you know, one's so alien, and one's so really normal. Like what you know, our favorite food is something we'd happily tell someone. Um, so maybe there's a little link there, but otherwise they're just so ra the two plots seem so completely random, and it did strike me as a little odd. That they kept coming back to Hoshi trying to find out what his favorite food is, while the looming threat of these spider jellies are <laughs> consistently coming back. I think I think what you've you've hit the nail on the head there, Ross, again, because I think what you found is the other silent enemy, pineapple. <laughs> you see, that's what it is, because it's an enemy to uh, Malcolm Reed, 
and you know it's a silent killer he has to take injections in order so it doesn't kill him <laughs> it, it's it's the hidden enemy there it is right there that's what it was all along maybe that's why the aliens you know kept on coming back you know they went away they came back they were also wanting to find out what the answer was they kept on intercepting all of <laughs> hoshi's communications going back and they're like oh we need to find this out but we really want to kill them what do we do first um well let's find out what he likes first and then we'll kill him yeah okay let's do that that's fine I think they were just looking for pineapple. I think they were scanning things. Is this a pineapple? No, that's not a pineapple. Oh, it's killed him. Never mind. Is this one a pineapple? No. It really doesn't make them that scary anymore. Uh, they just want pineapple. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so is it, staying on the food theme, yeah. is this the first time that Trip mentions pan fried pan? fried catfish it is it is indeed it is the the beginning of the catfish saga the catfish trope whatever you want to call it um this this is where it starts the first official catfish from florida uh reference um uh, catfish has anyone ever tried it i've never tried it so i don't know no 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 oh there we go you see like maybe maybe that's the reason why i don't like trip maybe it's because he's tried so many things that i've never tried i don't know maybe it's a food of the future that's it there's a lot of reference to seafood like the sister mentions that he uh liked octopus or at least was joking about it his friend yeah. says that he doesn't like fish even though he went to fish because he wanted to chat up the the waitress lolo style yeah it was a fish restaurant and the waitress was called marine yeah which I thought was <laughs> what was that boss doing? It was he. I don't know. Just yeah. recruiting, just based on sea-based names. I just... Yeah. <laughs> Come on, then, Ursula. You, you can work Any stuff. vaguely fish-like aliens, he recruits them straight into the yeah. into the restaurant. I don't know if they'd be okay with serving that, but I don't know. There we go. There's um, obviously we've covered the the invasion aspect. So when they actually finally do catch up with the Enterprise, they send over a little shuttle. Um, this is completely not Star Trek related, but uh, the Orville has shuttles for it. And looking at the design of the shuttle, did it look any in any way familiar? Sean's nodding. I, I, I thought it totally looked the same, just green. Yeah, yeah. It, the design of the shuttle looks uh, almost exactly the same as the Orville shuttles. Um, I don't know whether maybe the same designer moved over. I didn't know if that was the same person going over. Uh, but the creature creature design was done by a lot of people, so maybe they moved over. And and Seth MacFarlane did guest spot on Enterprise, so he's a big Star Trek fan. So I bet he used maybe. it either consciously or subconsciously, but definitely influenced. Maybe that was his descendant who time traveled back and then had one of these plans and gives it to Seth MacFarlane. He creates the Orville. Maybe there's a whole time loop. Maybe that's it. I don't know. There we go. See, this, this show can go in any direction. There you go. Ross is already looking confused. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find a picture of these shuttles. So I'm, I'm looking to see what these it's shuttles got, look like. That, I don't know the Orville shuttles very Yeah, it's well. that kind of like, there's the bulbous main end where the, the pilots, I'm guessing, are sitting. And then there's like a, a tapered wing at the back, which almost looks identical. It's, it literally is just the colour change, as Sean just said. Yeah, I can, yeah okay. So that sort of that tapers at the end, yeah. Mm. and we yeah he is seth mcfarland's a big star trek fan that's very true very true um there's uh, the decision to then turn back uh, and archer decides that he 
uh, has to swallow his pride and he has to go in. Uh, Archer's been doing a lot of uh, pride swallowing uh, lately. Uh, he gave her to Vanek in uh, Breaking Ice and realised that he had to ask the Vulcans for help, which did make me think that why are there not any Vulcans in the local area? I know we've had the Andorian incident, uh, but just in Civilization, just two episodes ago, barely a month in this Star Trek in-universe time, there were Vulcans who were going to check in on the uh, Akali. Uh, so there should be a ship within a month's range, which with their engines, they could easily catch up quite quickly. Uh, it seemed odd why their Vulcans weren't in, uh, in any kind of uh, rescue range. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the Vulcans maybe turn up, maybe have them as the resolving uh, element uh, in something. Perhaps, you know, they turn up after they've defeated the silent enemy. Um, any thoughts on why we didn't see the Vulcans? Perhaps there was something going on there? Maybe it's the same as what you said before, because he does call on the Vulcans uh, in a previous episode. So we've seen that happen, and we've seen how uncomfortable that makes him. They certainly reference it. If if I think they do say there's Vulcans potentially could be there within two days mm -hmm. if they can get a, a message through to the high command. But if if we'd seen it again, and we just like hear it, seeing the same story, and again, you know, Archer's being embarrassed. At least this time, he was able to solve the problem himself. Mm -hmm. You know by almost blowing up his own ship, but at least he didn't have to call on the Vulcans. We've seen him do it once, now this time we've seen him not do it. Maybe it was a case they didn't want to repeat the same uh, story pattern again. Mm. Potentially. Yeah. Guys? They they blew their budget on the CGI aliens and the guest stars, <laughs> so there was really no uh, room in, in the budget for anything else. That Starfleet budget, yep. Just uh, no, no room for this. I'm sorry, we can't afford two more ships in this sector. That's it. No, no, and they spent so much time trying to find out what to get Reed for his birthday that there was really no room left in the script and filming time <laughs> to have Vulcans show up for a minute or so on screen. It was just, yeah, we're not going to do this. Time. Yeah, I mean, where did they get the pineapple? I mean, the, the resourcefulness of that chef that they've got, whoever that may be. Oh, well, you know what? I think I think he likes making pizzas, that yeah, chef. And he, he just really had does. a ton of pineapple left over from all the Hawaiian pizzas. <laughs> that no one ate, you know, as yeah. most people don't seem to like Hawaiian That's pizzas. Right. Don't yeah. like pineapple on pizzas, yeah. Strange, strange people. Uh, uh, Some things we'll just never understand, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> yeah, fruit, fruit on pizzas. <laughs> Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> There is, uh, there is a lot of reference to um, Archer's arrogance and moving the Enterprise mission up uh, and a direct callback to the pilot and how they could have saved Clang. Uh, as we mentioned, Paul, when we were doing the pilot review, uh, there was potentially some timey-wimey stuff going on here that maybe the Enterprise mission was a little bit early than it was supposed to be because of all the temporal war uh, interference. You know, would this episode have happened in the prime timeline without the temporal cold war do we think that perhaps they've run into these aliens a bit too soon i think you're right yes i think that the ship would have gone out in, in their normal timeline and you know would have had everything ready but it would have been too late for some of the things that have gone on now without that war yeah definitely they wouldn't have gone i think they've they've been definitely been pushed out too early um yeah, there's a precedent for this in real life. I mean, you, you, you know, you look at the, the British Navy when it had to go for, to the Falklands War. They were still building the ships on the way down there, you know, getting all the planes ready, mainly because they had time. But um, 
yeah, they, they, you know, they, they were shoving ships down there as quick as they could to, you know, to, to fight the battle, um, and they weren't ready. So uh, mm. people practicing things on the decks of, of ships. Uh, so yeah, this this is absolutely right. Yeah, you've 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 got it right there. It's it, it left far too early, mm. um, unready for what was out there. Even for the you know the temporal cold war, it was you know they had no cannons. I mean, you know, they, they they should have waited really, but you know it didn't happen for obvious reasons. Mm. No Tuesday jokes though, which I thought there was an opportunity there to, to put one in. I was but, just going to make one. Been, now. It would have been awkward, but they could have. They could have. <laughs> Feel free, Sean. You know, you make as many Tuesday jokes as you like. It's fine. It- no, I was just going to say the phase cannons were going to be installed on the Tuesday, but they had to leave on the Monday to get claim to the home world there. That's what I was yep. Tuesday is the day that, for some reason, all of the uh, Jupiter Station and Mars just like to pick. Who knows? Maybe it's some, some interstellar reason that Tuesdays are preferred. Maybe Lots of bank holidays <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Every Monday. Every Monday's off. Three-day weekends. That's why the Federation runs so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, the second traitrid. Uh, from Trip, where he accuses Archer of having his ears a bit too pointy when he considers uh, turning back and maybe we went out too early. So this is my second traitrid. Sorry, Jen. Um, but uh, there is yeah two examples of, of where he is there. I'm not just saying that Trip is on his own on this one. Archer does kind of encourage it a little bit um, in some of the other scenes as well. So Archer is, is just too much uh, to blame as well. Uh, we then get a test with the weapons after a, a long and possibly the first proper scene of techno babble, where they're talking about shunting the engines and moving it through the impulse drives and things. There's never really been a huge uh, bit of techno babble in Star Trek Enterprise, at least at this point. And as we've been going through all of the episodes in chronological order, we haven't really had a lot of techno babble. We've had a lot of made up craziness about slingshots around suns and things like that, but proper old school voyager-esque techno babble warp coils uh all those kinds of things um this was the first time we ever had it and now we've got a test with these weapons um they find a moon somewhere that's nice to find and they realize they're going to blow the top off a little uh, crater and archer does ask you sure there's no microbes down there now i'm thinking maybe that this is a really good spot to maybe test a terraforming weapon maybe in the future just leaving a little note for myself for a few years time when i'm getting there on this temporal trek a journey uh but yeah no microbes okay let's blow it to smithereens then uh there's a bit of uh, a problem and a surge and they blow up an entire mountain on this moon uh any thoughts on the testing and uh what was going on in the scene yeah, I don't. I don't know how you can overload something to make, you know to make it. Uh, if it's overloaded, it it burns out. Um, you know, if, if, otherwise you're not overloading anything, are you? It's just working. <laughs> so, it's just working a bit more efficiently than you thought it was going to work. That's it. Um, yeah, that, that's that's when you you don't want Scotty in the engine room saying, "I can divert some more power. We don't need more power. We have enough power. It's too much power." <laughs> But yeah, no, it, it, it's it's okay. It's okay. They they um you know, the, 
it's a good thing to have too much power in this case because uh, as it turns out it works but there is too much techno babble not just in this scene but when they come to actually use the the, the cannon and they, they say oh but what about the recoil we won't be you know, i want you to overload it we can't overload it and then suddenly trip goes all techno babbly and says we can do this we can do that we can move this we can move that we can put this over here we can overdo the plating and blah 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 and what <laughs> uh, don't just make stuff up like that just get on and do it and, Say, yeah, Why you didn't we... think of that the first time it overloaded so that it's like, oh, well, we could have this in our back pocket in case we need to do it again. And then maybe just have like a, a little scene where Archer just says, you know, that problem we discussed, let's do it. And like we, the audience, then realize, oh, they're shooting and they're going to overload it on purpose again. And it's like the shorthand because perhaps they know the aliens have intercepted their comms or something like that. I, that would have been my little tweak, the writing tweak in me. Of you know, the, uh, Trip found out this way of safely overloading it so that they could vent mm. it in some way. Uh, but yeah, the, ele the electrician in me says, just put bigger cables in, a bigger fuse in, and you'll be done. <laughs> Where are they finding all this stuff? They built two face cannons from scratch. Um, they've you know. The 3D printers, just loads of 3D printers. <laughs> but where are they getting the materials? What's it from? I mean, jumping ahead to Discovery, we find out where apples come from. Where, where's yeah, all these pieces are coming from? Yeah. <laughs> They've got a department for this in, in Enterprise. It's the MacGyver department. Ah, of course. Uh, yes. Well, we did have the quartermaster back in Civilization who can conveniently make costumes that look exactly like an alien's costume that they've never met before. So maybe there's a quartermaster who can just make up machine parts as well. Just maybe they... I, I, I don't know. The scanners are pretty good. I mean, when they were, they were looking at Civilization, they were literally <laughs> looking right at them, like they're over the tops of their heads. Like, wow, that is, that is amazing. So the quartermaster has been having That's a look, very true. look through... It could have just drawn a few. I thought it was impressive when the 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 shields went down on the alien vessel in this episode, and they could scan the aliens' DNA. I was like, "That's wow. very good." They're scanning their DNA in two seconds—that's <laughs> amazing. There's a, a scene between Flox and Hoshi where we actually discover um, the medical reason why uh, that Reed might or might not like pineapple. Um, any comments on the serious breach? impatient doctor confidentiality here i mean it's, it's one thing to say i think he might like pineapple it's another to list all of his ailments <laughs> and <laughs> point it out on the out. screen as Don't well yeah would you like to see a particularly ugly spot he had <laughs> look at this <laughs> it was for his birthday though she was ordered she was ordered to look for it so you know blocks had to do it <laughs> I was wondering if he was going to start playing charades and like he was going to turn the screen away from her so only he can see it. And then he's like, uh, it begins with a B. Um, it's going to be bromelain. Uh, and he's just doing that. Maybe it's one of the skills that Flox has. No, Flox isn't that bothered. He'll just tell you. Um, the breakfast. There are more mentions of food, but um, the breakfast, uh, he likes his eggs. He can scramble them. He can poach them. He can do all sorts. He likes his sausage. It's starting to look like a, you know, a traditional English breakfast. Then suddenly, suddenly he wants pancakes with peanut butter. Who on earth is eating pancakes with peanut butter? Not me. That, is a, that, is, that must yeah. be a mistake. Because he was describing a full English. Yes, like, yes. That, that's, that's what yeah. he wants. Bring me one Where's of Where's the black pudding? <laughs> yeah. The baked beans, yeah, get it on there. Mushrooms, yeah. fried yeah. toast. Yeah. Spotted dick. <laughs> yes, spotted dick. 
That should have been that should have been his favourite food. Oh, we could have had that. Should oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> the the, the is too British. That's too much. <laughs> but then we call back to his dad, and he gets back on the comms, and he finally talks to his parents at the end, and it's almost like a reconciliation. And then there's a whole thing about spotted dick, and it goes into alo alo territory again with all the double entendres. <laughs> What could go wrong? <laughs> Can you imagine if it had been spotted dick? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We've had Chef whip you up a suet pudding. You're going to love it. Uh, just Hoshi just going to the chef, just asking for it. And just, you know, can I have some spotted dick, please? There you we go. Couldn't find enough, we couldn't find enough dick to put in it. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Raisins, oh, raisins. Dear me. There we go. Anyway. Bringing the tone back up. <laughs> um, we've got a little um, callback to previous episodes where the CGI doesn't quite seem to match the uh, the discussion or the, the text uh, or of the script where... Um, the Enterprise has fired back. They've managed to drop their shields. They finally fire some torpedoes. And there's sort of a very small vent of gas. That's it. That's all that we see on the CGI. Archer then calls down and says, how are we doing? Oh, we're okay, Trip says Trip. So what about our friends out there? It's like, oh, I think their repairs are going to be a lot more extensive than ours. Really? Really? It didn't, didn't really look that extensive whatsoever. They, they had a tiny little... Sensors. Ah, Sensors told them everything. Just came up and said problematic with them that's a big issue sensors told I think they would still be fixing that in their cell that they blow up in the first half of the show I mean that, that <laughs> really took yeah. out a lot of damage they managed to get that fixed fairly Probably quick missed exactly got to spare one of them lying around I mean, yeah. <laughs> they got to spare everything they got a whole extra ship that you don't see <laughs> um, what I want to know is, is how that ship got within 8,000 metres Eight kilometers, this is. There's a ship eight kilometers behind us. How did it get that close without them finding it first? <laughs> where's the, where's the people? Work. Where's the sensors? Where are these people detecting? Eight kilometers. You could have been uh, blown out the out of the outer space, you know, before they'd even known about it. Yeah, someone looking out the window. Just in there. <laughs> yes. We don't need the sensor. Just be, yeah. Get the lookout on it. Chef would have seen it, but he was whipping up the spotted dick, so he just didn't look out the, yes. the window, yes, and that's absolutely. what he did. We've lost They they've realised that they've now won. The aliens have gone away, and we finally get the reveal of pineapple as his favourite food in the birthday cake, and some beers next to the torpedoes. Uh, any comments on this big breach of health and safety as well? Um, I would not want to see people drinking next to dangerous armed torpedoes. I mean, it's only those tiny little European. That's true. Style. Very yeah, true. It wasn't like a pint, was it? They're tiny little beers. <laughs> I mean, why didn't Reed should have brought his own mug? <laughs> should have brought his own jar. In. That 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 should have been it. It's probably that American lager stuff as well. You know, the really you know, weak. Or non-alcohol, probably. <laughs> oh, they, yeah, they, they do drink lots of low-alcohol beer. I'm, they? I'm surprised that that, um, uh, that Reed didn't come out with a bottle of rum. You know, I mean, mm. make himself totally stereotypical and, yeah. and British Navy. You know. Get a good tot, why not? Yeah, get some grog. Sucking on a lime or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I do like how Archer was almost going to take full credit for finding out the pineapple. There, there's a point where uh, Reed just turns to him and says, how did you find out? And Reed, Archer sort of looks at him and sort of smiles as if he came up with the answer. And then Hoshi, Hoshi then finally stands in and says, you know, we have our sources. But there is just this split second moment where Archer looked like he was going to take full credit for it. Um, uh, any thoughts on uh, Archer maybe, you know, you know, Standing back and let Hoshi have a moment. He would. He knew Hoshi was going to go. <laughs> she was. She wasn't going to let. She wasn't going to let on that this has been a real problem for about two days, and that she, you know, there was an alien attack, and she was a bit worried about that. <laughs> uh, but she was more worried about this. I'm just wondering, like, is he going to get tons of like space email um, when they uh, launch the second uh, array, and all of his friends, all of his family, are now getting get back in contact? Oh, did they find out about your pineapple? And then Reed realizes how exactly how she has done this, and now he's got to go and tell everyone what he got up to. Um, I would like to have seen that scene. I don't think anybody knew he liked pineapple. Is Reed actually going to get in contact <laughs> with anyone though? It seems to me like he probably won't. <laughs> It probably maintained strict radio silence. Very true. Very true. But it's it's planting the seed for something about Reed's character that I think has carried through the whole thing. I mean, in my Swiss cheese brain, where I'm trying to remember all of Enterprise uh, from back in the day, uh, it seems like this fitted in with his character, that he was the loner that people don't really get to know. And in other episodes I can think of, um, we find out that Reed doesn't necessarily get on with the crew, even in future versions of the Enterprise. He never really uh, gets along with them. Um, it's a nice seed that sort of carries through. It, it's They've kept this element of Reed's personality. Any thoughts on that? Do you think Reed is unlikable? Do you think he's an unlikable character? Do you think he's just a character who keeps to himself uh, he's, and just doesn't know how to connect with people? He's my least favourite character on the show. It, is that because you don't like him or just because you like everyone else loads and loads? Uh, he's, uh, he's just boring. They, they never really developed his character uh, I feel, enough. I feel a stab of, of I'm wounded. The Brit in me is wounded. No, it's, it's nothing to do with the Britishness. It's just his character itself. Like, they, they didn't... Uh, develop Mayweather's character either, but I like him better than I like Reed. No, they, actually you're right, Mayweather was really underdone. But and by seasons three and four he's almost you could almost cut him out and wouldn't even notice. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I again I'm, I'm not one of my favourite characters because he's a bit too I, I think yeah you're right, Sean Boring. He's just nothing to him and they don't develop the character much and they don't give him much to do. it is a big failing of the show, I think is it yeah, there's a. It's not really an ensemble cast as 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 much as uh, the other uh, flavors of Star Trek. I mean, even TOS gives gives a bit you know more to the character. The you know, the smaller characters, you know, as they as they went on. Um, maybe I don't know whether it was a uh, an actors thing that they just didn't you know they couldn't say look I want more to do or whether it was like a union thing where they said no you've got plenty to do but you you, you need to. You have to be paid more and put further up the list or whatever. I don't know. It could be anything like that. But well, they they saw what happened <laughs> to Denise Crosby and they kept their mouth shut. Probably. That's a very good point. Uh, I would say if we saw the aliens mm -hmm. again, I'd like them to be rendered in exactly the same CGI, <laughs> so that we know that is precisely how they yep. look, and it's not just dated special 
effects. Oh, we can, they yes. are just slightly odd to look at. We, we could see them on Picard or Discovery. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or, or even Strange New Worlds. <laughs> and, and they could look the same. Yeah, and then, we could. But... And they don't update the CGI 20 years later. <laughs> no, it's, it, it must be exactly the same. Otherwise, we were, this this episode will lose its credibility. <laughs> that just mm. they, they need to they need to come back in lower decks and be looking come around saying, <laughs> yes. Where's the pineapple? I, I bet that's a joke they are actually going to write. I think you've yeah. I think you've called it. They, I think we can circle back around to this and, they, and know that you've named this. They have to do it in Archer's voice though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they, they talk like oh Archer, God, yeah, so and they good. worship pineapples now. That's they never came back because they were too busy trying to search the universe for pineapples. <laughs> Crazy. They didn't know pineapples went extinct in the twenty three hundred. <laughs> and what? You, and what is your race called? What is your race called? Del Monte. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh well, God. Uh, moving on. <laughs> We've located the point in time. It is the 2nd of September, 2151. Uh, just a little bit in our future, in fact. And um, uh We've done the first part of our criteria. The next part of the ratings criteria for these episodes is continuity, or in this case, consequences, as there's no time travel as far as we can see. Uh, what are the consequences from this episode, starting with Ross? Well, consequences are for the ship that they are massively updated weapons. They feel more confident that they don't need to rely on the Vulcans so significantly. And they've had a nice slice of cake. Sure. Yeah, now we have phase cannons. We don't have to go back home to the Jupiter Station boys. Uh, yeah, like like Ross said, we got cake. Uh, we, we don't know anything more about Malcolm than we did before, other than he <laughs> likes pineapple. And there's no real consequences. I think we should feel a bit sad for Malcolm because actually we do learn that he has literally zero connection in yeah. his life, even from the people who should know him the most. I mean, that is that's almost telling in mm. itself. Right. The poor guy is not known by anyone. No, he doesn't even talk to his parents. They didn't even know no. what his job was. Mm. Paul? Uh, yeah. Um, good character development um, and a, a one-time, one-shot alien. Uh, so no consequences further down the line. You know, we don't see them again. There is no knock-on effect of meeting them. Um, so yeah, pretty, hmm. pretty much. You could take you could take this or leave this uh, episode really, other than pineapple. Pineapple. It's all about the pineapple. Uh, okay, our next rating criteria is A for alterations, or in my case, expansions. What would you have liked to have seen maybe done differently? What would you like to have seen perhaps explored? You know, had they gone back to these aliens in seasons to come, or perhaps when we see them in Lower Decks, worshipping pineapples, uh, where would you like to have seen this episode? What was missing from the episode, or uh, do you think it was perfect as it was? Start with Ross. I think making them making them at the end when they sent the message back and it's sort of very explicit they want them to lower the you know they they can attack them and can defend them I thought that brought it it made them less weird because suddenly we we sort of saw their motivations they were uh, they wanted to attack and destroy us they could have like doubled down on the weirdness and just sent them a completely bizarre message that made absolutely no sense 
and sort of really made it really made us think i have no idea what's happening here <laughs> which i th- which could have been interesting and really put the crew in like a a more puzzling scenario like uh, are we getting shot at do we know why what's our response going to be and for them to have come out really confused but that might have been a bit too unsatisfying at the end to, to really have literally no idea what perhaps if they'd played back all of the conversations that hoshi had had back with everyone back home and it was all the random conversations we've seen with his with reed's parents his sister all of this just played back to them you know it's talking about octopuses and uh you know being um in you know uh being let down by the Navy or, or giving up on your Navy career. And it just makes no context sense whatsoever, but it's a strung together piece of um, cinema that the aliens have put together. Maybe they're just, you know, YouTube influencers and they're just, just practicing their editing skills. And that's all it was about the whole time. And they just can't pop in, you know, oh, we can't broadcast on that signal. Let's pop back out. We'll just see what we can do and come back later. Um, maybe that, yeah, maybe there's something there. Sean? A couple of different things I would have changed. Um, first of all, I wanted to see more damage to the warp nacelle after they blowed it up. You know, it, it was it looked fine in the next scene, and that would take days to repair. Uh, another thing is they keep dropping these echo devices, these subspace transmitters, in the middle of space. Why don't they hide them in asteroids or something? <laughs> like they're they're just in the middle of space. Some guy's gonna come. Oh, look, target practice. You know, like that's pretty silly. <laughs> And uh, when Paul was talking about how it was a different time when Vulcans got their warp drive, I wanted to have uh, an expansion on that and, and learn the history. And, and what were the species? Like, let's do like a, like five or six episodes, like a mini series all about the early Vulcan days. Ooh. That would be amazing. Very cool. That would that be would cool. Be good. Paul? Uh, I, well, I've got two things I'd, I'd like to have seen. Uh, one on a lighter note, should we say, um, I would have liked to have seen because later on in in the uh, seasons we get to uh, World War Two sort of episode and we Nazis turn up and and it's not a particularly favourite trait of mine as we go into that sort of um, area we go oh, me World War Two Nazis here we go again but what they should have done is brought um, Guy Sinner back to play one of the Nazis um, as his <laughs> a low a low character which I think would have really sort of lightened the mood a bit more in those episodes because it was a it was a bit straight and a bit hard to take really um but on a more serious note what is lacking from this episode is a part two uh what we need is and star trek's trait tends to be you introduce a good guy and he turns out to be bad or you introduce a bad guy and they become good and these guys started off bad so what we should have had is a part two where we learn more about these aliens where they come back in contact and they find it's a I don't like killing people as a misunderstanding, but certainly a misunderstanding on their part, or they they learn why they attacked them and what they needed and what they want. And Enterprise goes on to help them, and they develop a relationship with this new alien and show the Vulcans what humans are about. They can make you know friends and and can work these things out. So I think that's really what it needed. We get to see the aliens back again, and we turn them from being a, you know, a nasty attacking alien into some sort of friendship with maybe some trade agreements with you know, some sort of help. Mm. Yeah, uh, guys, do you, you like that idea? Yeah, sounds good to me. Well, what I mean, there's only one thing they want, though, presumably, which is all of our pineapples. Yes, that's true. And well, trade, trading, yeah. What else? What else could we give them? We have they have no no concepts we can possibly understand. All they want is all of our blue triangles. <laughs> but why? I don't. I don't. What's that? 
Yeah, maybe maybe their national anthem now is just the Pico Taro. I have a pen. I have a pineapple. Pineapple pen. Anyone remember that? No? About two years ago. It's a very aged reference, but there we go. Anyway, um, I'll play that in uh, here. I'll edit that bit in there. I have a pen. I have an apple. Uh, apple pen. I have a pen. I have pineapple. Uh, pineapple pen, apple pen, pineapple pen. Uh, pen pineapple, apple pen. Pen pineapple, apple pen. And we'll still be none the wiser. <laughs> yeah, basically, I'm still none the wiser as well. But I've watched it. Um. Uh, for me, the expansion, uh, yes, bring back the aliens and explain them a bit more. Seeing the trends of all the episodes so far from season one, uh, having the temporal Cold War arc was fun, but I think in this season one, it needed to have something a bit more grounded. That's something that could have come in in season two. We could have had the temporal Cold War much later. In this first season, it would have been interesting to see how enterprise deals with the bandits you know if it is wagon train to the stars if it is a western in space have the basic the low level threats first we've had the nausicaan pirates we had the the weird guys in fight or flight which i saw a lot of crossover in this episode and that episode uh particularly when they left the device just sitting in the 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 cargo bay hatch um on board the ship in the same way that in fight and flight they left the pumps on board to then gather whatever they're doing i would have loved to have seen season one be you know the outlaws of space and enterprises dealing with all of this lawlessness lawlessness and it starts the idea of maybe we need some collaboration some coalition uh, between all of the the much more powerful entities like the vulcans the Andorians, as they're now finding, perhaps even the Klingons, you know, reach out. And it's the beginnings of what will become the Federation. Um, I think I would have liked to have seen this as a bigger part of a much longer story for season one. Um, and then bring in the Temporal Cold War later, you know, make it season two's big arc. Um, it, they had such a good sense of this is the beginnings of Starfleet's venture into space. Why didn't they make that the focus? There's so many good stories to be told. Um, for me, that that would have been the expansion. I, I like this episode. I like the way it's presented. But I feel like they already knew they wanted to make some arcing stories with Shadows of Pajem coming up soon uh, and things like that. They knew they could tell those kind of stories. Why didn't they do that? And uh, yeah, for me, I think that's the only alteration I would make. Um, recommendations is next. So starting with our first r uh recommending to star trek fans starting with ross um would you recommend this episode to star trek fans specifically i would definitely recommend this it's a it's a fun fine episode it's a little weirdly balanced but the threat is interesting and the the pineapple story is you know it's it's fun but it's not i mean it's not a mind it's not a mind-blowing pineapple episode but it's a it's a perfectly good episode with some nice weird aliens totally worth a watch yeah sean yeah it's totally inconsequential you could just watch it randomly Uh, it's not part of an arc 
uh, if you want to just watch a, a, a cool episode with some mystery, go for it. There you go. Check out these weird spindly spider-like CGI aliens. Pineapple worshippers. Yeah, fair enough. Pineapple worshippers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just fun. And Paul. Yeah, same as Sean. Yeah, I think if, if you're watching this as a part of a rerun, you could possibly skip it. But as a one-off, uh, if you want to just dive in and you, you, know, you want to have a sit down, have a beer, watch a, an episode of Enterprise, like I did, then it's perfectly workable. It's it's, it's a, you know Alien of the Week, uh, episodic. There's nothing to worry about in the next episode. You don't have to go and watch it as, as part of your rewatch. Um, yeah, it, it works okay for that. But yeah, as a one-off, but not necessarily as a as a run. You can you can skip this one and miss it and not notice it. Yeah. And I'm in complete agreement. Yeah, it's it's a good balance of action, good balance of character, and we have a weird pineapple story. What's not to love? There we go. Um, the second aspect of R is recommendations to non-Star Trek fans. I always frame it as if this was the brainwashing kit to get someone into Star Trek. Do you think this episode is a good example of that? Start with Ross. I think it could be. I think if you're going to start with an episode that had no, you didn't need lots of background, there's people out in space and something strange is happening and we don't know what. It might not be the most satisfying, you know, overcoming the obstacle and finding things out. And the pineapple plot line probably is overdone then in that case. But I think it's it's weird enough because it stands on its own and it is a weird episode I think it could have that sort of, you know, strange appeal. Sean? Yeah, it it wouldn't uh, hook anybody, that's for sure. It wouldn't be the first episode I'd uh, show somebody to watch Star Trek. But it's fine. It's it's got mystery. Uh, If somebody doesn't know anything about Star Trek, this is good because nobody knows anything about Reed. So they're, they're lost. Your your your, your <laughs> friend who's never seen Star Trek would be lost too. It it, it works. It it, uh, it lets you know a little bit about the Vulcan history, and you're like, huh, okay. So they're they've been around for a long time. I'd like to know more about these people. Then you can go watch more episodes. So it might be okay. It wouldn't be the, my first choice, but it, it's decent. Paul. I like the idea that at the end of this episode, the novice watcher would know as much about Reed as any of us do. Exactly right. <laughs> They've learned it all. <laughs> That's the takeaway. That's it. You still don't know anything about Reed. There we go. <laughs> Paul. Yeah, I'm going to echo what these guys have just said. Um, my first thought was, oh, no, you don't want to show this to, to anybody who doesn't understand Star Trek. And then I thought, no, hang on. You do, because it's not really deep Star Trek. You start off with a pineapple story. You start off with the crew getting to know, you know, trying to get to know each other. And, and it's more about the relationships of the crew. And then you get into the alien of the week, which is exactly what Star Trek is. Um, and then you get the, um, uh, the oh, what was I going to say about the, 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 the pineapple story sort of carries on. You, uh, the relationships grow a bit more as well. And you can, you can see the, um, the backstory of the relationships between Archer and Trip in the when you get into the alien story. Um, so it's, I think it's, it's heavy on character, this one. So I think it'll be good to show somebody um, that this is, this is really what Star Trek's about. It's more about the people, the characters, the people on the ship. There happens to be an alien that attacks them. They fend them off using Technobabble. So I think it, actually it is quite a really good uh, introduction into what certainly what uh, Enterprise is about 
and pretty much what most um, episodes of Star Trek are about. I'm glad I had all three of you on this episode because I was going backwards all the time. I couldn't figure out whether I wanted it as a uh, non-Star Trek fan uh, episode or not. I just couldn't place it. So based on all of your arguments, I think you have convinced me. I think I would put it in the in the box. It probably wouldn't convert them to being a Star Trek fan, but I think it's an interesting hour of television, at least. It's crazy. It's weird. There's a pineapple story. Yeah, exactly. It's all still there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny when uh, Reed thinks Hoshi is flirting with him. That is funny. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We missed yeah, that scene. Yes. Uh, yeah. You didn't even mention that. Yeah. Completely missed it. Um, it's it's genuinely funny. Yeah. I, I did have a chuckle. I completely forgot that scene was in there. Any thoughts on that scene? It's hilarious. <laughs> and awkward. Uh, yeah. It's awkward. It's, it's a trope that's been used many times in many other of episodes of any other series of, of even you know, of normal TV series. Um, so. I was a bit disappointed in it because oh here we go she thinks you know he thinks she's uh, it's that scene again, um, but it is funny and you know it's 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 done properly because you've got somebody who is a bit more awkward you know being British and, and reserved and not realizing that, you know, that that what she's asking about is food so. <laughs> Ross. Yeah, I mean, uh, my note just says what a funny awkward <laughs> scene and it is you know it's it's a good scene. Uh, I, I I thought it was. I mean, it was right. It is a trope, but it was Star Trek turned well to do enough. it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was done well enough, and it was enjoyable. And you know, what's nice is they didn't they didn't abandon the awkwardness at the end of it. They doubled down <laughs> on it. And she leaves. Like wow, that that could have gone so much better any other way. So, so why is it that Reed's always on his own and he doesn't uh, talk to people much? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, uh... he's always thinking of trying to ask every every conversation. Strip, it's lovely you've offered, but uh, I'm afraid I'm, I'm busy working. <laughs> Captain, I think this would be um, quite inappropriate. <laughs> you're my senior officer. Yeah. He's always turning people down, and they're always leaving. Keep it to business. That's what he does. He just keeps it to business. Yeah. There's no way he can be misunderstood. Then. Uh, well uh, thank you all guys uh, for joining me for this episode uh, before I, I let you go starting with Ross um, how will people find you where can they find you and uh, plug away so I'm always on Twitter uh, to Borg at strtrk1701 or I have a podcast called Snap Trek which compares two episodes of Star Trek and that is at Snap Trek also on Twitter Sean I have Twitter accounts, but I hardly ever use them, so don't look for me there. But you can find me on the Soul Forge podcast. You can also find me on the Cosmic Pizza podcast. You can find me on the Epsilon 3 Babylon 5 Rewatch podcast. And on this episode of Temporal Trek right now. There you go. <laughs> Paul. Well, yes, you've already found me. I'm here. <laughs> um, and have been for quite a while now. Yeah. Um, but I'll yes, let you out eventually. Sure. <laughs> yes. Just like um, Dan and Sean, we uh, we do the uh, the Cosmic Pizza podcast, um, in which we must get Ross on one day. Mm. Um, I don't know how, why, or what, but we'll find a way. We'll get him. 
Pick a subject. Uh, yeah, we are. Yeah, anything. Pineapples. Yeah. Pineapples on pizza. Do well, we he's, need he's it? He's got the fo- he's got the forehead for podcasting. He's got. He's got he did. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. I thought that. I was like, look at us. We've got, we've got the look. Haven't we? You're just missing the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we also do the, um, the we do the Cosmic Pizza podcast. Uh, we have just started the Epsilon Three, which is a Babylon Five rewatch podcast, uh, which is out now. Uh, by all means, mm-hmm. go looking for it. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Anchor. We need to, um, but I think it's also through iTunes and Spotify and all the usual places. Not yet, it's not. I can't get it on iTunes. Oh, anymore. you will by the time this comes out. So uh, I hope. I, yeah, I don't know why it hasn't appeared, but yeah, you know, somebody hmm. somebody will find it on Anchor. It's out. So there. Um, it's out there, and soon it'll be on um, the, the uh, uh, ESO network at some point. So maybe even now. Uh, so yeah, that's that's me. Excellent. Well, thank all three of you uh, for being here. Um, we got through the silent enemy and uh, we discussed some LOLO. I can't think of a better way of spending a Wednesday evening. Um, <laughs> so uh, it only remains for me to uh, set up the next episode, our last criteria. Join me next week as we move to season one, episode 12, or was that 10? We'll have to back, jump back in time as we go back or forwards to the cold front. Thank you always for listening. And I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temporal Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at Riding Coattails simplesite.com The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.